Uh, Kevin, I wanted to start with you. Uh, I'll just read a little bit from this article. Uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange allowed to seek appeal against extradition to the US. So this came down this earlier today in the United Kingdom. Uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has won permission to try and appeal against the decision to allow him to be extradited to, extradited to the United States, where he faces charges under the Espionage Act. Uh, the decision to extradite Assange has rested on his mental health. On January 2021, a magistrate's court ruling found that Assange could not be extradited as, as it would be oppressive by reason of his mental health. Uh, the high court overturned that decision in December, uh, saying Assange could be extradited uh, based on the United States assurances. Uh, on Monday, Lord Chief Justice Ian Burnett and Lord Justice Timothy Holroyd denied Assange permission to directly appeal December's ruling, leaving it to the UK Supreme Court to decide whether or not to take up Assange's appeal. So, Kevin. Well, so that's legally confusing in a yeah. way for Americans that CNN isn't bothering to unravel or, or like untangle so that it can make sense. So if I can just take a moment, it's actually fairly standard for the High Court of Justice, which is an appeals court, to uh, not grant permission. But when they do that, they're basically ending their role. And now it frees up the defendant or it frees up the person who is the, uh, uh, the appealee or the appellant can now go to the higher court and bring their case. So until they do that, they, um, you know, they have to be dealt with. And so now the high court is done and now it's all within the realm of the Supreme Court. And the part of this that actually matters because there's been a lot of focused on did they or did they not grant permission? And, and I wouldn't get hung up on that, but CNN did because they don't really understand this case beyond the fact that they have a pipe dream of hoping that Julian Assange can be brought to the US and interrogated by the FBI so they can reopen the Mueller investigation into Donald Trump. But the, the, the real thing that people need to pay attention to is that the high court certified a point of law. So when the when Julian Assange's legal team appealed this high court decision that overturned the district court decision and when they when the US government won and they sent it back to the district court in December then Julian Assange's team appealed and they had to bring up points of law that the high court would recognize were of public importance. <laughs> Excuse me. And then when they when, when they did that, if the high court agreed that either of these points were of public importance, then it would make it possible for them to appeal to the Supreme Court, which is what they want so that they can overturn the US government's victory. And they were able to achieve this. I have the, I have the uh, pronouncement in front of me from this morning and the point of law that was certified is that they acknowledged, the high court did, even though they ruled against Julian Assange, they acknowledged that, that the question of what circumstances can an appellate court receive diplomatic assurances from a requesting state, which were not before the court of first instance in extradition proceedings, is a question that has not been settled by the Supreme Court before and so it can go there. Julian Assange can go to the Supreme Court and file an appeal and say, 
we don't think it was proper because just again, I'll, I'll wrap this up and then you can ask me whatever. The main problem here is the district court judge Vanessa Baretzer in January of 2021 ruled it would be oppressive for mental health reasons, as you read in that CNN article, to extradite him to the United States. And Julian Assange won. The U.S. appealed. And so, um, you know, the, the, the issue now is, um, well, I, I, I'm now tangled. See, it's all convoluted. I, 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 I'm getting lost in this. Basically, to dumb it down for the audience, it sounds to me that Julian is, first of all, the, there was a local magistrate. Yes. She ruled that he cannot be extradited. Then a higher court above that local magistrate overturned it, uh, provided U.S. assurances. The same U.S., by the way, that it came out was trying plotting to kidnap and assassinate Julian Assange. That country's assurances was why the higher court overturned it. Now it seems Julian Assange's lawyers are making the legal argument to the Supreme Court that the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom has never before uh, issued statutes or weighed in on the diplomatic assurances from another country. Do I have it right? Well, well wait, no, so thank you uh, for saying that because it actually uh, reset my mind, which is a kind of a little, a little bit fried. So so the issue, so, so what the high court is doing is they're giving the Assange team an opening by saying, all right, we've settled the question, but we actually can see that the Supreme Court has never ruled on this issue. So the door is open for you to go ask the Supreme Court if they will hear your appeal, which is right. good. Uh, I don't know if you have the clip available or not, but Stella Morris made a pretty good statement outside of I the do. court. And uh, maybe you want we to play do. it. We do. We could play that now. What happened in court today is precisely what we wanted to happen. The high court certified that we had raised point of law, point of law of general public importance and that the Supreme Court has good grounds to hear this appeal. The situation now is that the Supreme Court has to decide whether it will hear the appeal. But make no mistake, we won today in court. But let's not forget that every time we win, as long as this case isn't dropped, as long as Julian isn't freed, Julian continues to suffer. For almost three years, he's been in Belmarsh prison and he is suffering profoundly day after day, week after week, year after year. Julian has to be freed and we hope that this will soon end. From what she's describing is she's pointing out that point of law, which which seems to be the specific legal term for yeah. why the Supreme Court, they have to they have to decide to hear it, but yeah. why the Supreme Court now could come into play. But without that certification, the door would be closed and they would not be able to appeal to the Supreme Court. So the high court is signaling to the Supreme Court that there are legal issues that the Supreme Court could hear. And so it's it's very bizarre because on one hand, they did not grant permission for the appeal. But on the other hand, yes, they did, because by giving certification to a point of law, that means that Julian Assange's legal team can go forward and appeal. So it's very it's really confusing. And that is why the Guardian newspaper actually put up a headline and then 
quickly in like less than an hour, maybe even less than a half hour, they had to go retract that headline and change it completely because even they didn't understand what had just happened. Um, and so, uh, so you know, I, I wouldn't get hung up too much on the process because what's really the most significant thing here is that Stella Morris, who is Julian Assange's partner, um, fiance, hopefully soon to be married. Um, at uh, we would like to see that this happen outside of Belmarsh Prison, but it'll probably take place in Belmarsh Prison. But the important thing is they are marking a victory, and it is a victory because without this outcome today, then the extradition would have been sent to the Home Office. Pretty Patel is the Home Secretary, and she could have put a stamp on the extradition to try and transfer Julian Assange to the United States. Um, that would have been the next step. Now, the Assange legal team would have stepped in and triggered the appeal at the district court level on the core press freedom issues, which have not been heard by an appeals court in the UK yet. And that would have stopped Julian Assange from being transferred. But what it would have done is it would have exhausted this position that Julian Assange has been in since January 2021 for a full year now where they've basically had the U.S. in a position where they had to defend their handling of the extradition request. So even though they've lost at the appeals court level, it's really important that on this very narrow question before the Supreme Court going forward, it's possible they could prevail because there are previous cases that deal with this issue of you already lost at the district court, and now you're suddenly telling another court that, you will treat the defendant, you will treat the person who's accused of crimes humanely. Why didn't you make those claims before the judge ruled against you? Just, just so I have, just, I don't want to confuse the audience. So basically what you're saying is the Supreme Court, and there's been previous cases like this, could say you, the U.S., yeah. already lost at the lower court level, meaning Assange originally won, he was not. He was ruled that he was not going to be extradited. I think the reasoning was bullshit. It should have been on press freedom. But putting that aside, it was on, you know, uh, suicide. You know, likelihood mental health. mental health. Even though that's not the right rationalization, he won at that point. What you're saying is the Supreme Court of UK of the United Kingdom. There is precedent that they uh, could say, well, you, the U.S. already lost at the lower court, and uh, the higher court that overruled that. Why what why isn't it that the US didn't offer those assurances before they lost? So you're kind of saying on that yeah. very narrow technicality, the Supreme Court could potentially say uh the US should have offered this at the beginning. Uh and Julian is, you know, the lower court and basically prop up the lower court's ruling. Yeah, and the US loses nothing by doing this. They could have easily gone before Baretzer and said, listen. We anticipate everything that Julian Assange's legal team is going to say. They're going to claim there's torture and inhuman treatment in prisons, which we don't agree to. They could, and I mean, obviously that's false, but this is what they could have said. Um, they could have said, we expect that Julian's team is going to say there's no mental health treatment in prisons. We expect that they're going to say that, you know, it, there are other things that are unfair about what will prevail and, and take place while he is going through the pretrial and trial and post, uh, and when he is incarcerated in the United States, they could have just anticipated that those arguments might carry some weight with the judge, and they could have preempted them by saying, "Well, here's what we'll do, so that 
the the legal team isn't able to get any uh, influence over the judges. And in fact, the judge did think that there was merit to the issues that were being raised by Julian Assange's attorneys. And so that's why she ruled against the U.S. government. And, you know, in order to salvage their case, they basically come in after the fact and they say, well, whoa, uh, the judge was wrong not to go to the U.S. government here and say, I'm about to rule against you. Is there anything you would like to tell me that would make me feel better about this case before I rule against you? Which is absurd. It seems absurd. It's like, like obviously, at that point, you're going to tell the judge whatever she or they would like to hear so that you can get the most favorable ruling. It's what they're doing now. They told the appeals court what needed to be said so that they could get them to say, oh, I guess there's nothing wrong. So uh, we'll send this back to the district court and he can be extradited. Um, and, you know, again, we, we talked previously about how the chief justice, um, Ian Burnett, has a conflict of interest. He's got a close friend of 40 years who is um, a, a high-ranking official, a former high-ranking official in the British government who was part of the team that was pressuring Julian Assange from within the British government to leave the Ecuador embassy. And there's no recusal. There's this person, Ian Burnett, the chief justice, is involved. Um, that court's involved in ruling against Julian Assange. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, maybe it might be good just to lay out very quickly here what these diplomatic assurances are, uh, just to remind people what we're talking about. You've got this issue of whether he'll be held in special administrative measures, which is this uh, designation that the attorney general can apply to a prisoner. Um, they don't have to just be coming from extradition. It could happen to anyone in the United States. And they designate them as a basically a national security threat. And that allows them to impose restrictive conditions. Uh, Joshua Schulte, the alleged leaker behind the Vault 7 materials that were published by WikiLeaks from the CIA is being held under these conditions in a prison in New York. Um, and so this could happen to Julian Assange, but they said they won't do this to him unless he commits a future act. They won't tell people what that future act would be. Julian Assange has no notice of like what would be the offense to get him designated as Sam's. Well, and then, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, you can jump in and then I'll keep going. I, I was just going to say, and I want to bring Tina in too. Tina, what's amazing to me, and obviously like we're not lawyers, so it doesn't seem like Julian Assange's lawyers can factor this into the Supreme Court. It seems like their appeal to the Supreme Court has to be on this, this narrow, this very narrow uh, pathway in terms of U.S. assurances, this and that, mental health. Um, but What's amazing to me is literally, and, and Kevin also, I might be botching this, UK extradition laws say it cannot be for a political reason. Well, yes. the assurances is coming from the United States where there is reporting that has not been refuted that the United States was plotting to kidnap and assassinate him. Now, how far was the plotting? We don't know. Was it actionable? We don't know. But I don't know. It doesn't get more political than... The, the CIA, the whole apparatus 
plotting to assassinate, uh, kidnap and assassinate this man. So how that, Tina, is not at all a factor, and I know that Julian Assange's lawyers did bring it up uh, in that appeal hearing to the higher court, but how that's just kind of like a, a footnote in the story and not the story, how can you get assurances from a country that this man will be safe if it's the same country that was plotting to Nato. Kill him. Yeah, no, it's bad across the board. I, you know, I have a broad concern about press freedom, press freedom, press that press freedom. Can't speak yet this morning uh, in general. And I know uh, in in the UK they actually have lesser uh, protections for press freedom than we do here in the United States, which is worrisome. And in fact, right now there's a couple of cases that are being tried there in regards to libel, slander laws, and uh, press. I press published an art an article about a billionaire. It's sound. The billionaire doesn't like it. So he sues for libel slander and the court's willing to listen to that. So there's a, I think there's a broad conversation that needs to be had here, both within the United States and the UK, about what freedom of the press actually means. Assange should have 100% protection under that. And the fact that that's also skirted is very disturbing to me. The fact that we are looking solely at, you know, mental health issues as being the real conversation, I'm all for doing what needs to be done to get Assange free. Like, if that's what we have to focus on to, to get him out, then that's what we do, right? That's the game we're playing. But it is, I think, very disturbing that the conversation isn't about press freedom, because that's really what it's what's at stake here, in my opinion. Mm. And, and Kevin, can I just zero in on that? I know you're not a lawyer, but ha first of all, it's not a given that the UK Supreme Court will will hear the appeal. Uh, I You would think it's pretty high profile, so you would think they would, but it's not a given. But is there any pathway to that argument being brought in to the UK Supreme Court that not only should the US have provided these assurances for uh, to the lower court before uh, Judge Vanessa Barrister, I believe, uh, ruled in favor of Assange, but actually examining the country that's offering the reassurances right. and new information, new information that came out. Is it possible that that could be brought into the Supreme Court? I think so. And I actually believe that the issue of the diplomatic assurances is a much wider issue than people might be giving it credit right. because it, ent it entails a lot of things that you know, I was sort of moving into discussing here. But uh, obviously, in order to rely on and trust those diplomatic assurances, you have to believe that they're being offered in good faith. Right and that there aren't politics behind those assurances. It's the only way they work. Now, the problem with the high court decision is, I'm reading between the lines somewhat, but as you look at some sections of the high court's decision back in December, mm -hmm. it is strongly suggested, if not just insinuated, that they need to authorize this extradition in order to preserve diplomatic relations between the US government and the British government, and that if the UK court system was to deny the US Julian Assange, that it would impair the ability of the two countries to cooperate as allies, and that would be a fundamental issue. So that's wrong. That's where politics comes into play and becomes more critical to the court than what could happen to a human being, to a, to a life that is in jeopardy of being extradited to the U.S. and then would undergo 
further harm that has already done substantial damage to his mental state as well as his physical state. Right. And the other thing also is I, I haven't read anything on timeline here. I mean, I've seen cases in the United States in appeal and back and forth between three different levels for 20 years. So <laughs> Julian Assange had a mini stroke, uh, I believe, in October. Yes. Uh, I spoke with his brother at a protest uh, in New York City. Brother said they, they fear he's going to die. Came out that your brother had a mini stroke, I believe. How is his health right now? Because I know it's been deteriorating. Yeah, I mean, this is it's just another it's just another, you know, he's feeling the pressure and and it's immense and it's years and years. He's it's been 11 years since he was first arrested in the UK. Uh, this is going to be his third Christmas uh, in um, in the maximum security prison and the, the pressure is bearing down on him and you know we can't be surprised that he's going to have a stroke i mean what's next is he going to you know is like we live in fear that he could he won't survive this how long how long uh could this yeah. potential just to get the just to get word from the supreme court if they will hear the appeal we don't know how long that's going to take and then if they grant it how long that's going to take mm -hmm. and if i can just get one more piece of news out there that has flown under the radar yeah. Uh, so they asked for certification on three points of law. And you may be wondering if anybody was watching this closely, what happened to the other two points yeah. and how did the, what were they and why did the high court reject them? And so they asked for uh, the Supreme Court to be able to further review their concerns that they have about how Julian Assange could be subject to torture or, or inhuman treatment in U.S. prisons. And the Supreme Court essentially said, well, that's already been settled. We don't need the Supreme Court to look that over. And so um, Amnesty International actually put out a statement, which I'd like to take a moment just to bring in here quickly, because I think, again, it refocuses things on the issues that matter that are of more importance than just simply, you know, is he, you know, is he sick or not? Is he mentally stable or whatever? So. Um, this is from Massimo Moratti, who is Amnesty International's deputy research director in Europe. And he said, while we welcome the high court's decision, or, or they said, while we welcome the high court's decision to certify one narrow issue related to the U.S.'s assurances as being of general public importance and to allow the Supreme Court to consider granting the appeal, we're concerned the high court has dodged its responsibility to ensure matters of public importance are fully examined by the judiciary. The courts must ensure that people are not at risk of torture or other ill treatment. This was at the heart of two other issues the high court has now effectively vetoed. Torture and other ill treatment, including prolonged solitary confinement, are key features of life for many people in U.S. federal prisons, including those imprisoned on charges similar to Assange's. The ban on torture and other ill treatment is absolute. It cannot be upheld by simple promises from a state that it won't abuse people. The Supreme Court should have had the opportunity to deliberate and rule on all of the points of law raised by Assange at this crucially important point, but the high court limited its scope to do so. If the question of torture and other ill treatment is not of general public importance, what is? Right. Yeah, exactly. And exactly the same. You know, uh, I just want to, as we wrap it up, I want to simply ask, I mean, again, <laughs> It just seems to me through this whole process, number one, uh, why has he been kept in prison through this process, particularly when they ruled 
when the lower court ruled in his favor, why was he not released pending U.S. appeal? I mean, that's how it usually works. If you are victorious, yeah, a government or you know whomever can appeal. But if you are exonerated, basically, you're allowed to be released to the public. Uh, why is why is he still in prison? Uh, you have meticulously gone through all the abnormal or all the abnormalities of this case, uh, privileges and just legal uh, protections or legal rights that any defendant would have. Julian Assange did not have. So it just right. seems to me he won on the lower level, won on appeal. I don't understand why he's forced to stay in Belmarsh prison, which is very harsh conditions. Uh, they've had bad COVID outbreaks too. Uh, yeah. If technically the ball is still in the air that he can appeal. Yeah. So uh, I don't find any reasonable justification, but I can tell you the government justification or the judicial justification for keeping him in Belmarsh. And it has to do with that Yahoo news report that examined the CIA's efforts to plot against Julian Assange to, to target him for disruption, to target WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks for disruption, to sketch out plans for assassination and kidnapping. And they uh, convinced the UK government to slap him with a bail jumping charge while he was in the Ecuador embassy that could be kept in place if Sweden dropped their investigation into sexual allegations. And then if he left the embassy, they could automatically take him into custody and arrest Julian Assange. And then that would become an opening for the US to do exactly what we've seen done over the last three, two to three years. And so, uh, what? But jumping, jumping bail on case on a case that was dismissed in Sweden. Do I have that right? Yeah, at this point it has been, yeah. right? There is no case. There's no case. They well, and also the case, depending on when you asked me the question, could have been opened or closed because they did that a total of three times. So right. so so <laughs> it, so when 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 was he jumping the bail? And actually at some point, right. like it really would have been a moot point because it didn't exist anymore. But this was done for a political purpose. It's ex and also because they do not recognize, let me just close on this, they do not recognize diplomatic asylum. The US government does not, the British government does not. And so being in the Ecuador embassy, he was never treated as if he was legitimately fleeing with a, a actual political fear of, of what could happen to him. And so Ecuador coming to his aid was not taken seriously. It was viewed with a lot of contempt by U.S. government right. officials as well as British government officials. And that's really where all of this gets rolling. And so now, I mean, I'll just, I'll just end on this point, which is there's the battle within the courts. That's the very small, minor, well, not minor, it's, it is significant, but it's a very narrow, uh, mundane, tedious issue that I'm going to follow and report on, and I'm going to let people know what happens next. But outside of the court, People really need to continue to struggle on this. The simple, broad question of why is Joe Biden and mm -hmm. Attorney General Merrick Garland insist on continuing to pursue a prosecution against a journalist? Why do they keep yeah. why are they keeping him in jail? Why is he in Belmarsh? 
Why is he in here during a pandemic where he's vulnerable to consistent outbreaks because the facility is failing their inmates and doesn't make testing available or whatever you want to say that is in line with the politics of the Biden administration, I would like to believe. Why are they doing when, you know, they want to tell us that we need to stand up for democracy and human rights. They make all these pronouncements about what Russia is doing against freedom of speech. They'll tell everybody how authoritarian China is to their people. And yet they have no credibility as they continue to keep Julian Assange in a Belmarsh jail cell and, and, and trying to bring him to the United States, to put him on trial and doing this in a prosecution widely recognized by all press freedom organizations around the world, as well as many human rights organizations as something that is hugely troubling and detrimental to freedom throughout, you know, in, in, any, in any country setting a standard that basically gives a green light to authoritarians and autocrats the world over. That's the critical question. And they yeah. refuse they refuse to answer it, by the way. But in, but as long as their silence continues, that is the thing that people need to keep pressing them on because we need them to back down. And that is the thing that people should do and then leave the leave the lawyers to fight in the Supreme Court to get Julian yeah. Assange free. They're very skilled and they know what they're doing. There's another critical question. This isn't a question to you. This is just an ending point. There's another critical question, which I think I know the answer. Well, why is Biden and uh, Merrick Garland able to do this so freely? Because you have a press corps in this country that- It doesn't frank, hold frank, Frankly, has very selective principles when it comes to freedom I of agree. journalism. Uh, Tina, if you remember, I don't know, it was an NPR reporter who questioned uh, President Biden's press secretary. Why don't we just send free tests home to everybody? It was so simple, but finally a reporter asked it. Finally. Uh, but Biden's press secretary. Long. I mean. Yeah, Biden's press secretary had egg on her face. Before you know it, in, you know, then the media picked up on that. And before you know it, in a week, oh, we're going to set up a plan to send half of, uh, 500 million tests. That's the power of the media. If the media would choose. I'm talking, I'm talking Brian Stelter. I'm yep. talking the New York Times, who distributed a lot of these uh, Chelsea Manning leaks with WikiLeaks. They partnered on it. Uh, if the media would, all right, whatever, you think Julian Assange worked at Russia, that's not true. But even if you think that, there's a broader principle here, Kevin. That's uh, more important, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brian, Stelter uh, was, Brian Stelter was at New York Times, by the way, when these leaks yeah, were being yeah, published yeah. in 2010. But I'm telling you, you can call me naive. If tomorrow you had a band of the White House press corps on Jen Psaki, on Biden about this, that then it got then it would get picked up. Biden would drop this in a New York minute because they respond to pressure. But you don't have that pressure for the media because, frankly, I think the media does not want to lose their access to the the CIA, the FBI, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Title Forty Two is being defended still. I was just going to say another example right this week: Title Forty Two, a Trump administration separation of children at the border. They're defending that this week too. So they're continuing to uh, turn their back on campaign promises. You know, they campaigned on, we're not going to do these same thing, the same things the Trump administration did, but the Justice Department is doing the exact same thing. And you're right, the, the, the uh, press corps in Washington, D.C. is not holding him accountable, not yeah. asking questions, basic questions. Yeah, stop accepting non-answers. I mean, they don't, they don't do this, they're demanding what the response is going to be to Russia. Can you imagine them standing there and <laughs> accepting a non-answer from Biden administration? 
what do you counter Russia? No, they are, they bully and badger people who go on their Sunday morning right. programs. What if they start doing that to get an answer on this Assange prosecution? Right. And they should realize as members of the press that this is this is so important. Uh, you know, the United States, in fact, if you talk to U.S. Freedom of the Press Foundation, they'll tell you. I was talking to one of their gals a couple months ago. The United States has dropped remarkably far on freedom of the press. You would think that the United States of America would be in the top one or two slots. And at this point, not anymore. The reports um, of attacks on journalists, you know, all of these things that they've been keeping track of are adding up. So there's a broad-based argument or uh, something that a principle that's being defied, First Amendment, of course, that the United States really needs to have a hard examination about, and we have to be part and parcel to the problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Kevin committee Worker. to protect. Can I just quickly add the yeah. the committee to protect journalists did a report on the first year of the Obama uh, of, the, of the Biden administration. <laughs> excuse me, and Leonard Downey, who worked on this, shared in his press conference on this report that every question that they asked about the press freedom record of Biden, they got an answer to. But when they mentioned Assange, it went cold. It was radio silence. It was a complete change in the way they were willing to talk to him about what was going on. They clammed up. They don't want to. So that tells me that this is a vulnerable part of the Biden administration. You can't defend it in public. I mean, at some point, we're going to get leaks about this and why the Biden administration continued this and why they wouldn't defend it in public. I think there's probably divisions inside. And if we had a real press, if we had a real establishment press that cared about these issues, they would be picking at the divisions in order to get stories to us that showed us what was going on inside the Biden administration. Yeah, I agree. Kevin, where could people find your work uh, at Shadowproof? Uh, uh, Shadowproof.com. And then to get the newsletter with updates on Julian Assange and other whistleblower cases, go to the dissenter.org. That's T-H-E-D-I-S-S. E-N-T-E-R dot org. Thank you, Jordan and Tina. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, Kevin, for coming on. Really appreciate it. So that was Kevin uh, Gatstola with Shadowproof on Julian Assange. Remember to smash that like button. It's a thumbs up button right under the live stream. Uh, the more people that press the like button, the more people that will see this. Uh, Tina, I know you want to go off on something. Uh, <laughs> I want to go off on something. Uh, the thing I want to, well, I think we both want to go off on this. Multiple uh, things. <laughs> and that's, that's Barry Weiss. Yeah. And wow. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like a big hot taker, but I'm going to go off on this because honestly, at this point, um, you know, I think you can want to go back to normal. I think you could want, you know, COVID to end without, yeah being a privileged snot shit fuck. Uh, and yes, shit fuck, I said. And Barry Weiss, formerly of the New York Times, uh, a very, very studi privileged uh, person in my view. Uh, she went on Bill Maher um, and Bill Maher too has been pushing this line, like let's get yeah. back to normal, forget. By the way, before we even get, play this clip, Colin, if you could just show uh, the, the uh, stat from the other day. Uh, this whole back to normal thing where nearly 4,000 people died. Uh, this was on the 21st, so a couple days ago. That's nearly yeah. 4,000 4, people died. Each uh, that, day 
Britain, there's been like a 9-11 rate of yeah. death the last few days. It's right. This is crazy. How can they think that we have coronavirus under control if this is going on? Right. So I'm not trying to be hysterical because, you know, cases are finally starting to go down in New York, Washington, D.C., uh, Boston, mm -hmm. the cities that were hit hardest by Omicron. So cases are starting to go down. They're still very high. They're still uh, very high. The death count is still pretty damn high. Uh, let's be clear. Most of those are unvaccinated people. Uh, it's your choice still if you don't want to get vaccinated. But the data is the data. But there's been this, Tina, there's been this like coordinated media thing for the last few weeks yeah. to like bury COVID like the towards the end of the show. No, like honestly, that stat I just showed you, nearly 4,000 dead. I didn't even see it on CNN for a couple hours. And I was watching here and there a couple shows. Uh, and Bill Maher, who used to be progressive, I don't know what the hell he is now, uh, <laughs> he's been beating this drum like, enough, let's get back to normal. Let's see uh, Barry Weiss, you know, that bastion of, uh, you know, really gritty journalism. What does she have to say about the whole COVID getting back to normal? No, I'm, I'm done with COVID. Oh, I'm done. It's yeah. like, I... I went so hard on COVID. I, yeah, I remember. sprayed the Pringles cans that I bought at the grocery store, stripped my clothes off because I thought COVID would be on my clothes. Like, I did it all. I watched Tiger King. I got to the end of Spotify. Like, we all did it, right? And, no, no, we didn't all okay, do it. Well, well, here's the thing. A lot, no, of us, we didn't all do a lot of us did do it. And then we were told, you get the vaccine. You get the vaccine and you get back to normal. And... We haven't gotten back to normal. And it's ridiculous at this point. I know that so many of my liberal and progressive friends are with me on this, and they do not want to say it out loud because they are scared to be called anti-vax or to be called science denial or to be, you know, smeared as a Trumper. <laughs> I'm sorry, if you believe the science, you will look at the data that we did not have two years ago, and you will f find out that cloth masks do not do anything you will realize that you can show your vaccine passport at a restaurant and still be asymptomatic and carrying Omicron. And you will realize, most importantly, that this is going to be remembered by the younger generation as a catastrophic moral crime. The city of Flint, Michigan, which is 80%, I think, minority students, has just announced indefinite virtual schooling. In the past two years, we've seen among young girls a 51% increase in self-harm. People are killing themselves. They are anxious. They are depressed. They are lonely. That is why we need to end it more than any inconvenience that it's been to the rest of us. I think I'd love to hear Barry Weiss when she evokes Flint talk about that eight years later, they still don't have clean water. She yeah. cares about cares about Flint when the topic fits whatever narrative. I'll let, I'll let, uh, I want you to start because I'll go on forever on that. I'm really disturbed. Number one, her entire rant, it was completely self-absorbed on focusing on what she's done. Like she sprayed the Pringles cam. She did this. She did that. Right. I mean, so the entire rant is all about her and she fails to see the bigger picture of the world out her or how her affection or her uh, actions affect others. Right. So the real issue here is if I say, OK, I'm vaccinated, I might be asymptomatic and I carry the vaccine and I might infect somebody. The part of the conversation she's leaving off is the person you're going to infect is going to be the unvaccinated person more than likely because that's the percentage and they might become severely ill and die. So the fact that people are failing to understand that this is a public health crisis, that we're all in this together, 
that our actions affect everybody around us, and that's what the framing needs to be, is really disturbing to me. It's, it's not about rugged individualism. It's not about you whining about, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, go out in public without a KN95 on and worry about infecting somebody else. Um, it's really disturbing. And I think beyond that, she's failing to look at the hospitals, right? She's failing to look at our public health employees and professionals that are out there like on the front lines trying to help people that are sick, dealing with an overload in the ICU unit, um, not being able to help a guy that maybe is having appendicitis as quickly as they need to be because there's no space for him because it's all COVID patients. I mean, it's just frustrating to me that people don't understand how all interconnected that we are and how your actions affect everybody else. And this entire thing exchanged with Bill Maher and her was just really emblematic of that. It's that um, and Rand individualism. And the fact that people think that you can hold a leftist uh, belief and embrace that kind of and Rand uh, individualism is really shocking to me because this, this, if anything, public health is collective responsibility. It just is. So I have many things to say. And by the way, there were a couple of things she said at the end of that, that, that are true. Uh, she said, you know, you could go into a restaurant that requires all people be vaccinated and still be asymptomatic and spreading it, this and that. So she sprinkled in some truth there. Here's the thing. Just an example. Hang just on, can I talk about for a second? Because I was actually bothered by that. Yes, it's true. But what she's failing to recognize is probabilities, right? So no vaccine is 100% efficacious. Nobody is, no vaccine will stop 100% spread. There, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. That's not uh, that's not a, t a tenable place to try to aspire to. But we have to work for best outcomes, like most likely outcomes, right? Most likely best outcomes are you get vaccinated. That will slow the spread of the disease. Absolutely, it will. Anybody that says otherwise is totally full of it. And the second part of that is the vaccination. Even if you do get the virus, you will be prevented from getting severe illness in the same way that you would, um, like if you weren't vaccinated, you're going to get very sick. That vaccine will, will prevent that, it'll lessen uh, the illness. So that's a win. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And she doesn't want to, she seems to not want to like talk about that aspect of, of that restaurant environment, right? The point of that restaurant environment is we're trying to prevent a bigger problem issue. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, it doesn't, I don't know. Just really bothered me. <laughs> to me, that to me, there's multiple issues. There's the issue of the actual where we are at with COVID and whether uh, we need to, to a certain extent, learn to live with things. But you can't learn to live with things if the government yeah. is not provide is not providing the proper cool. masks. If yeah. the government the government isn't even giving proper guidance on which where's which masks you should be wearing. You cannot you cannot learn to live with something yeah. if schools don't have proper ventilation. You cannot learn right. to live with something if you still have to go through a maze to get tests. So this whole learning to live with something, in theory, eventually, yeah, there's going to have to be some trade-offs to return to life when we have the infrastructure to deal with it. We still don't have the infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, we still we don't have the infrastructure to deal with it. Secondly, yeah, an example in my life. Yesterday was my nephew's birthday party. Uh, I was about to go. I found out somebody I had been uh, around had a fever. So I called my brother, my brother's child, and I said, I feel fine. But I was just around somebody who just told me they have a fever. Mm -hmm. what, you know, what do you want me to do? And he said, you know, unfortunately, I don't want you to come. Not just because of the children that 
we're going to be there. And yes, children, the data shows they're not going to die. But do you want your child to get the flu? No. So why would you want your child to get COVID? But there was going to be a lot of adults at the party. So I didn't go. You think I want to miss my nephew's birthday party? No. But it was like the responsible thing to do. Yeah. So I think there's this, I think there's this, not just to protect my nephew and seven-year-olds, but, you know, adults who were there, this and that. You could have adults that are vaccinated that still have autoimmune issues. So, you know, this this notion that she's, oh, we're, I'm done with it. And, oh, the tyranny. I had to stay home and watch Tiger, Tiger King. Uh, you know, get me a violin. I, I've had to be home and watch Tiger King. And I couldn't go to as many cocktail parties as I wanted to. Because this is this is the problem with our media. Most of the media is heavily concentrated in New York, D.C., yeah. and other urban cities. Most of them are severely out of touch with Flint, Michigan. She like she wanted to cite Flint, Michigan, like she gives a damn. Um, and they have no idea what actual people deal with and actual people's struggles. So to her, the tyranny is she's had to be she's been in Netflix quarantine. Quarantine, but yeah, Spotify. <laughs> but I want to play. I want to play this, and this is from interviews I did with nurses. So yeah. while she's over it. And again, I get the sentiment. I get why people are frustrated. I think Biden has been miserable, been miserable. Some of the things that they're doing now should have been done seven, eight months ago. I agree. Uh, and I get it's human nature. We're sick of this. But at the end of the day, when you say you're over it, you know the people that aren't over it? Colin, play the clips with the nurses that I interviewed. And just with current conditions, our hospital is so full. Um, there's nowhere for these patients to go. So the ER essentially turns into an additional nursing floor um, because there's no there's no beds on the actual floors, which in turn leaves people in the lobby for hours on end because we can't we can't complete the process of admitting patients. And I think people automatically write something off as just like the sniffles or like a day a, a cough for a day or two. And uh, when I when I see mild in the hospital, you know it's fever. It's really high fever. Um, it's like a rough cough um you can't eat or drink anything because you you can't keep it down you're throwing it up you're dehydrating um and then you know even when you get past like your acute symptoms a lot of people even though they have a mild case they're developing what they call long covid which is you know the debilitating symptoms um that last for months even you know people years from when they got it or still having symptoms. You know, I know people who still can't taste or smell um, or if they can, everything tastes awful. People having respiratory issues, uh, neurological issues. Um, I know I worked, you know, I know people who, it's called COVID tachycardia where their heart just out of nowhere just beats really fast. So, um, and these people had mild cases. So um, when we talk about mild, that doesn't necessarily mean you're out of the woods um, once you get past those acute symptoms that you do experience when this all first began i remember one of the first few things one of my co-workers was saying was that you know like we're at war we're on the front lines we're basically you know put out there to survive this thing and essentially counter it so it definitely is like wartime it definitely um burnout was one of my major things uh i spent i experienced major burnout especially while i was in the or due to the nature of my job between the demands from the nurses between dealing with the virus itself that's where i just started before COVID. They already had a nursing staff shortage before this. Hmm. But then because of COVID, because the nurses got tired of being mistreated or not being paid, or in the case I was talking about earlier, flexed, because we had, I know one, I knew one nurse, he was flexed to the point where he said he might as well have been fired hmm. because 
that's my as well what they had done we already had those type of issues my hospital in general would have moments where they called them rifts where they would freeze hiring not hire new people fire a bunch of people then undo the freeze and then hire people wow so you already had staffing shortages at hospitals that's what i mean by the infrastructure now i, I won't even say the infrastructure is crumbling it it's it is collapsed it's collapsed that was yeah. just that was just two nurses i interviewed five or six other nurses were telling me that literally their hospitals are asking staff employees to come in after their 12 hour shifts as volunteers. Yeah. Uh, so when Barry Weiss says, Oh, I'm over it. Oh my God. I had to clean the Pringles can. And Oh my God, I was in Tiger King quarantine. Those people are actually over it. And you know, to all the people who say, Oh, Jordan, you're with the lockdown left this and that I'm not calling for a lockdown. What I called for two years ago was the government covering the payrolls like they did in the United Kingdom, the government covering the payrolls for everybody. That's right. Maybe not the bankers, but for (laughs) all, for all people who deserve it and (laughs) allowing people to stay home for a month or two to stop the spread. You know, we could say whatever you want about China, but that's what China did. I don't know if they covered payrolls, but they kept people home, but people, when they, they, people cry out about a lockdown. There was no lockdown in this country. I lived in New York City at the beginning, at the height of this pandemic. People were out. Central Park was uh, uh, filled with people. People were taking subways. It was a stay-at-home order, but people were out and about without a vaccine. So, Tina, it just boggles my mind because I understand the frustration. I don't care about Barry Weiss's frustration. I (laughs) I understand people's frustrated because I'm frustrated. Frankly, status quo. Our main product is on the ground reporting. There's been times I can't go on the ground. I, I wasn't going on the ground during this Omicron surge. I don't want to get COVID twice. That's a decision I'm making. I want to protect my wife, my wife's parents who are older, my parents who are older, if I see my nephew or niece. So it just seems to me I get like fatigue sets in. But to those people, I would ask, to Barry Weiss, I would ask, what would you prefer? Do you want to just get rid of masks and go out? We saw how we saw how that worked when the CDC over the summer yeah. said, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. You want to get rid of the masks. You want children to go to school without masks. You want which, by the way, the data shows uh, when we've had mask uh, mandates, cases went down. Right. What, what, what do you prefer? You want to get back to concerts? Everybody can go freely and be on top of each other as this variant is still spreading as there seems to be, I don't know enough about it, but a sub variant right now is yeah. spreading in other countries. So what is it that you, what is it that you are calling for an end to all protocols, all safety measures? Cause I got news for you. If we do that, Barry Weiss, uh, you're going to be in more Tiger King quarantine or downtown Abbey. They don't seem or, to understand what, that though. They, they think it's over. They're all acting like it's over when we have nothing but record breaking increases you know, See, for the last couple of weeks. It's wild. Colin, Colin, show it one more time. I don't want to cut you off, Tina. <laughs> no, it's all right. For, almost 4,000 people died two day, three days ago. Almost right. 4,000 people died two days ago. Now you could say, well, Jordan, cases are going down, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but isn't it kind of fucked up, Tina, that we've normalized nearly 4,000 people dying? Yeah. Whether, they're, whether, whether they're unvaccinated or not, they're still human beings. They should, have been, they should have gotten vaccinated. I, I have a dear friend of mine who was unvaccinated that just died. So, you know, um, I, I don't understand why 
I get that the media wants to just kind of push this, let it rip. Because frankly, I think the business, the, the multi-trillion dollar corporate conglomerates that own our yeah. media want it done with. But it's of just course. amazing to me how you have privileged, snotty people like Barry Weiss. You, and Bill Maher says, let's get on with it. Well, Bill Maher, why don't you go work a shift in an Amazon warehouse where exactly. COVID is spreading wild? Sorry, exactly. No, but you're right. It's infuriating to me. That's why it pisses me off when, um, you know, I see these people that are self-identifying as being on the left and they're embracing this great Barrington declaration. They're embracing this, like, it's fine, let it rip, everybody's good kind of mentality. And they're saying that that's pro-workers' rights. That's that's absolutely fucking ridiculous. It's not pro-workers' rights. You're basically telling poor working class folks that are in these jobs that they should go die for Wall Street or at least get sick for Wall Street or at least put themselves in, in the, the uh, world of possibly getting very sick. And I think one of the things one of your nurses mentioned was about how there's all of these other symptoms or other um, complications that happen from COVID that have nothing to do with respiratory uh, illness, right? And I'm experiencing that right now, right? I've got nerve damage from COVID. So, and my case was obviously clearly mild. You know, I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted. I had zero respiratory issues at all. I breathed fine through the whole thing, but it does attack other parts of your body, right? It's not just your respiration. So, and nerves are part of that. So there are complications that come about that people haven't really thought about of, I think. They think like, okay, it's a mild cold. That's not a big deal. And they forget about this other stuff, right? So I'm glad that that nurse was bringing that up because we have no idea how many people are experiencing those things right. um, and, and how that will turn out, you know, 20 years from now. Who knows? So I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, so I was just saying, it's just really annoying to me that I think the thing, if, if, if we are going to be smart about this, there should have been a UBI or what you're saying, you know, pay everybody's salary so they could stay home to stop the spread. Um, I think this idea that people are saying masks don't work is, is absolutely fundamentally flawed. Are the cloth masks as effective as a K95? No, clearly not. But they should have been telling everybody, you know, months and months ago to be wearing K95s. And I'm going to go one step further. They should have been sending everybody K95 masks in the mail for free. Right. Along with the tests and everything else. But the fundamental problem is, is our government didn't do it. They don't want to do it because they're beholden to the corporate oligarchy who cares only about making money. And that's the other part of this. Hang on, because I'm not done ranting, apparently. <laughs> that's the other part of this great Barrington thing. Like, do you guys really believe that um, all of these billionaires are really like not pushing, not having a lockdown because it's not going to benefit them financially? Of course it is. They don't want to pay UBI and they don't want the economy to be shut down. They want to keep making money, 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 money. Now we can talk about the fact that a lot of these guys did make a lot of money during the pandemic. They absolutely did. They all increased their wealth, but you can't just look at that in isolation. They right. make more money when their businesses aren't shut down. Right. And you know, the two other things I'll say, number one, Again, I, I just to be fair, not just to Barry Weiss, but people who would say, but Jordan, like, we have to learn to live with it. I'm not saying lock down the country. That's not what Tina or I are talking about. What we're talking about is you cannot just have this attitude. Yeah, just enter the Petri dish. And, you know, if you've been vaccinated, so be it. Fair. Because it's not fair to our hospital workers. And yeah, the whole argument will get more beds. Yeah, we should get more hospital beds. But that's not an argument against just let the thing rip and everybody go on. Secondly, I've, I've spoken with friends of mine that are teachers as well as my aunt. The whole notion yeah. kids should be in school. I'm for that. The problem is they're not actually learning anything right now because half <laughs> their teachers are out. 
That's literally, right. literally in my friend's school, no disrespect to janitors, the janitor stepped in as a substitute. We have we have cops that are teaching. I mean, how does this make sense? Right. So this notion that they're better off in school, I agree with that. I agree with that. But if, if all the teachers are out sick and so many students are out sick, it's basically a glorified babysitting service at that point. Number three, I'll take Barry Weiss seriously when she says, I'm over, I'm over us not having paid sick leave so that workers are not forced to go back to work with COVID, which I'm seeing all over the place That's right. on, That's on Reddit, on Reddit threads and elsewhere. Leave. Yeah. Yeah. I'm over us not having paid sick leave. So workers don't have to go back to work while still COVID positive and symptomatic. I'm over. And I don't hear Bill Maher talking about this. I don't hear Barry Weiss talking about, it. are you not over why this pandemic con continues? There's a reason this pandemic is continuing and I'm not, yeah. There has to be other things besides vaccination. Vaccination, I do think Biden's, admi Biden's administration was too focused on vaccination and not other things. But why aren't you over the fact that Biden and the and and the U.S. government is not forcing Moderna and Pfizer to share its formula? That is why. That is why other variants are emerging all over the world because the majority we could vaccinate the entire country, and I'm for that. But we no, you're right. You, you saw with Omicron, you saw with Omicron that more of these variants are evading vaccines. That's so right. the vaccines might be protecting the vaccinated from hospitalization and death, but it's still spreading because you have That's new right. variants because other countries that don't have access to the formula are breeding are grounds. Yeah, are breeding grounds for these new vaccines. Uh, excuse me, these new variants. So I don't hear Barry Weiss or Bill Maher calling out Biden. Ralph Nader, right. I heard him the other day say the U.S. government in times of emergency can force these pharmaceutical companies to share their proprietary information, which isn't even their fucking proprietary information because the oh, U.S. government paid for it. The U.S. government, <laughs> us, paid for yeah, we pay for the research. It's ridiculous. They're basically capitalizing the profits and socializing the risk. That yes. is the real pharma corruption right there, folks. That is. It's not that all of science is out to kill you. It's not that every researcher and doctor involved in, in coming up with these uh, vaccines and medicines are, are looking to cause you harm. They're not. Are the pharmaceutical companies looking to profit? Yes. How do they do that? By holding on to the patents that the taxpayers are financing. That is the real corruption there. And I wish more people would go after that because it's really fucked up. And the last thing I'll say, Tina, bottom line, two things could be true. Yeah, we're all sick of this shit. I would have loved to have gone to my nephew's party yesterday. I'd love to yeah. be able to get, get back on the ground and cover things more often when there's not surges uh, of this thing. Uh, I would I would love, I mean, I'm still technically a newlywed. I would love to take more trips with my yeah. wife places. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I'm sick of it too. But at the, you also have to... you. Part of, to me, forget the term progressive, but just being a good human is yeah. is is thinking in terms of collect the collective That's is right. thinking about something might bother me or something might cause me issues, but thinking about okay, other people have it a lot worse than me. So That's I don't right. I don't disagree with Barry Weiss in terms of yeah, you know, we were told certain things by the CDC and Fauci who has fucked up and lied. Fauci mm -hmm. has lied about things. Uh, yeah. But the thing is, OK, yeah, it's a novel virus. So maybe they maybe that, they were yeah. maybe they were incompetent and gave universal statements like 
if you get the vaccine, it won't spread. And they shouldn't have said those things. Maybe there were cases with Fauci where he said you don't need a mask when he knew you needed a mask. But they were telling you you don't need a mask because they didn't have enough masks for healthcare workers. So there's right. both there's both been right. straight up lies and incompetence. But at the end of the day, it is a novel virus. So right. Just to things, clarify what that is, do people understand what that means? I mean, I this know. is this is a very important part of the conversation. It is a novel virus, which means it's new to human species. That means you have zero, and I mean zero, antibodies for it because it's new. We haven't experienced it before. Those are always far more deadly than a, a mutated flu virus that we've been dealing with. Right. And, and, it, and it hasn't been part of the conversation. And I do, you know, I do fault the CDC and other organizations, not only for all the things that you're saying, because, yes, they really fucked up, and I could go on about that. But they also don't talk about what we're talking about right now. It's a novel virus. I think if more people understood the danger of that, it might clarify some stuff. But they haven't been very good at communicating, um, you know, just basic information about why these things are important. And my thing is, my question to Barry Weiss and Bill, like, okay, you're 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 over it. What do you want? You want you want to just go back to how it was before where we don't have testing capacity when schools don't have insulation when we don't when we don't have paid sick leave when we still don't have protective measures for new variants what what is it you're proposing if it's just to fuck it social darwinism i don't agree with that um, i don't agree with it either i don't agree with that at all um, and yeah. that's exactly what's happening right now also um I have one more thing that really angers me, and I know it angers you too, that I would like to bring up, and that is this. For the love of God, stop comparing getting vaccinated with the damn Holocaust. Stop. Oh, boy. The RFK folks are going to come after us. To be fair, I just want to point out what you're talking about. So at the, def at the Stop the Mandate rally in D.C., which, to be fair, ha had a big audience, uh, I'm... I, 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 I'm willing to debate mandates with people because I think there is legitimate reason to not be for mandates. I see being for them too. So I, I'm not against the fact that people got together against mandates. That's their right. And I understand why people uh, principally are against mandates. But RFK Jr. went on stage and yeah. in, in conspiracizing about 5G and satellites, which I want to be clear, I don't know everything about 5G. I've read some stuff about potential risks, separate from coronavirus, uh, stuff about 5G. I don't know enough. But what I do know, and I am going to pull my Jew card here, uh, is when RFK Jr. goes on stage and evokes the Holocaust and Anne Frank, at least, at least they had the chance to hide, to 5G <laughs> satellites and global surveillance. And vaccines. Listen, they had, there was um, yeah. a group of, of anti-vaxxers at this thing that were wearing yellow stars. I mean, it's not just, it wasn't just uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. making, this is, this is something I've seen time and time again from the anti-vaxxer group. They do think that, that they are, uh, that their persecution is on par with the Holocaust. And it's fucking ridiculous. Asking people to participate in a collective responsibility to stop a public health crisis is not genocide. And you guys need to stop doing that. It's really so offensive on so many right. levels. Um, and, you know, look, and, and there's, there's, here's a thing that always happens, too. The conflations that are being made by Kennedy. For example, 
I am here to have a conversation about Fourth Amendment rights being eroded. I am here to have a conversation about the surveillance state, about private security firms that are, uh, you know, teaming up with the government to infringe on your Fourth Amendment rights. I am here for all of those things because it's bad and we need to stop that stuff. But to tie that in and to conflate that with an anti-vaxxer stance and then to say that that leads to uh, that group being the same as, as uh, Jews at the, genocide, the genocide of the Holocaust, that's where I have a problem. Like these are conflations that just don't make sense. They're done to serve a purpose, right? To, to elicit an emotional response to get you know more people down your conspiracy theory rabbit hole, but it doesn't make it excusable. And it really bothers me how many people don't see that. Well, to me, and I, I'm not religious, but I mean, I, I, I went to Hebrew school once a week as a kid. Um, I learned about the Holocaust. To me, the people right now who aren't getting vaccinated have a choice not to get vaccinated. Even when there were even when there were mandates in place, yeah, you had the choice. Nobody was coming to your home. Nobody's forcing you put, to get vaccinated. Put, you putting you on a putting you yeah. on a train to the vaccination camps. Right. So the yeah. the, this and, you know, what's amazing to me is then you hear. But Jordan, it could get to that point. No, it's don't, not. Don't going tell to me ever get to that. Point. Don't That's tell me it could get to that point. OK. I didn't have anyone directly in my family who died, but I do know people that did. I, and, I do. I had family that died. So I feel and like. this notion, listen, if you don't want to get the vaccine, I disagree with you, but that's fine. But this notion that it's equivalent to the forced slaughter of a whole religion. And there were other, by the way, not just Jews who died in the Holocaust, but the biggest death was the Holocaust. It's not only offensive, it's insane. It's insane. It's an insane notion. Uh, I, I assume the people who are saying it, most of whom are not Jewish. Um, but if you genuinely believe That's that, fine. and there's people I see on Twitter that were pushing that line over the weekend in response to RFK, that he was, what's wrong with him just, you know, mentioning history? Because the Jews didn't have a choice. You have a choice. If you want to tell me, well, we might not have a choice. Okay, but how is that history? I mean, really? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy town. It is crazy. Um, it is crazy town. Yeah, listen. So, and if, if if your restaurant doesn't want to allow you in because you're not vaccinated, they have the fundamental right to do that. Nobody is forcing you to get vaccinated. Stop saying that that's the case. You're making right. a choice, and there are consequences to your choice. That Absolutely. is the conversation. All right, Tina, we've gotten through uh, Assange. Uh, we've gotten through uh, Barry Weiss, Bill Maher, and that racket. Uh, we wanted to get to other things, but we didn't have time, so we'll do it uh, the next show. Uh, before I go, uh, Tina, you might be excited. Uh, since we broke uh, a major story last week on the Flint water cover-up, uh, that's in The Guardian. Uh, if you haven't read the story, it's at the top of my uh, Twitter page. Uh, we... Uh, the mainstream media has, of course, ignored it, but fortunately, I was able to get on a bunch of independent media shows. Thank you to uh, Brianna Joy Gray and Rising and Ring of Fire and Marianne Williamson yeah. and The Vanguard and probably forgetting something or people here. Uh, a bunch of shows. Oh, Breaking Points uh, covered the story over the weekend. I'll be going on a couple other shows this week. Thanks to you guys. Uh, status quo, you know, we're up. Uh, we've gone up 3,000 subscribers. So if you're a new subscriber, welcome. Uh, click the bell. Click that bell next to subscriber and click all notifications. 
because uh, a lot of people aren't getting uh, any notifications, let alone all of them. Uh, we've also gone up, woohoo, nearly 100 paying members. Nearly 100 paying members, and that's the name of the game. We don't have any money from the big bankers. We don't have any money from the fossil fuckers, big pharma, big real estate, Silicon Valley, military industrial complex. Our funding comes from you, and that's how- No billionaires. The only, the only reason, Tina knows this, the only reason I was able to break these Flint stories is because I've gone to Flint nearly 20 times. Uh, you know, Coke, Dave, uh, Charles Coke did not pay for that. You paid for that for me to go to Flint. Uh, so please, please, uh, we want to keep this momentum coming. Please sign up, statuscoup.com slash join, five bucks a month, 16 cents a day uh, comes out to five bucks a month. We do have a couple plans that are a little higher, but definitely if you can sign up. And Thursday, I don't know if you're around, Tina, but Thursday we're doing our monthly members call. So to all the new members that signed up, this will be your first members call uh, this coming Thursday uh, at seven o'clock Eastern time. So that is January 27th, uh, seven o'clock Eastern time. Colin, you always use the video, the image of me looking like I'm an anamorph. I don't <laughs> understand it. I don't understand. You always use the anamorphs version of myself. Um, like but if you, if you could put that back up, Colin. So seven o'clock Eastern, to be clear, it's actually not a phone call. It's a Zoom call. So we do it through Zoom. We were doing it before Zoom became a thing. So you could be on camera if you want. You could mute your camera and just listen. Uh, I talk to the I talk to the members, uh, the ones that Tina's been in there. She she'll she'll talk to you too. Um, we answer your questions, comments, also give a little behind the scenes. So you you know, usually a little TMI. Uh, uh, but I'll tell you the good, bad, and ugly uh, going on behind the scenes. So definitely, definitely, this is a perk of being a status quo member, uh, a monthly members call. Uh, we also do behind the scenes videos. So I just uploaded over the weekend a behind the scenes uh, video just for members, kind of talking about this the last week and the Flint story success. So that's up for members. By the way, when I say members, it's also available to patrons too. So patrons get the invite link to the members call just like members do. If you're not signed up at all, if, if you haven't signed up for anything, we prefer you sign up as a status quo member rather than a patron, just because we want everything in-house. You know, we want membership through our website rather than relying on a third party platform, uh, Patreon, others, who the hell knows if they'll be around in three, five years. So if you're, if you're new, if you haven't signed up yet, sign up at statuscoup.com slash join. Again, you could join us for 16 cents a day. It funds our reporting. And if you sign up before Thursday, you'll get the link to join our members call, which will be at seven o'clock Eastern, uh, four, four Pacific. Uh, I'm putting Tina on the spot, but I hope you could join yes, us. Yes, I'll be there. hundred percent. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Colin and his dogs will probably be there too. So that's uh, exciting. Uh, so definitely, definitely sign up as a member. Tina, anything before we go? No, I'm just, you know, tune in next Monday. We will hopefully definitely talk about Ukraine, maybe even at the member call Thursday night, because that's a that's a breaking uh, news story that's going to be going on, I think, for a couple more weeks. Uh, and please, 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 please tell your friends to stop comparing the Holocaust to a public health crisis. And by the way, by the way, what Tina is talking about, we're not like trying to cover like Russia, Ukraine, like. The rest of the media, which is like the drumbeat for war and like, you know, right. the media, the media getting uh, collectively hard for a new Cold War. Uh, Tina, you have some really interesting reporting on uh, the fact that we're continuing to boost up neo-Nazis in Ukraine. That's correct. And not only that, 
Americans are going over there to not only fight in the war, but they're training over there and then coming back here to the United States. Yes. So, and I was able to film some of these guys in Huntington Beach. Um, but I think you're right on that. It, it is, you know, the country is being, you know, yay, Cold War, let's get back, let's get that back going again. When in the reality, this entire conflict is grounded in the civil war um, in Ukraine between the separatists, what are now the separatist pro-Russia side, and then the pro-West side. Um, and, you know, NATO's involved. It's a complex situation, but but it's a very troubling one. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Tina. Thanks to the audience. Back at it tomorrow. Uh, thank you for watching. Peace out.